This is one of my favorite pictures ever, actually. It's from the Republican National Convention in 2020. There's President Trump with uh, five brand new citizens from all over the world. They came here legally. They came here with skills to offer. And once they got here, they went through all the steps you got to go through and took the oath of citizenship. And if you take that oath, you actually pledge to pick up arms for your country. People who are born here don't have to do that. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you look like. If you come here legally, if you uphold and believe in our way of life, our it's great. More the merrier, right? But if you sneak in or if you come here with an entirely different agenda, anti-American agenda, where you think if somebody shoplifts something, you should chop off their hand. I mean, we're not even throwing them in jail. I don't want to see anybody's hand chopped off. There has to be a happy median. But talking about Sharia law, there are folks around the world who believe in that stuff, and it's spreading like wildfire. I want to show you this man. His name is Gert Wilders. He's a Dutch parliament member. And a few years ago, he was in New York City, and he gave a speech. Now, the speech has been turned into a text. It was actually closed to cameras, and, uh, but somebody wrote up a transcript. Um, this speech has been making the rounds in very, very influential circles. I'm seeing all kinds of people forward me this message that he spoke about years ago in New York City, and they think it's um, very, very of the moment, that it's an important message, an urgent message right now. This is Gert Wilders 15 years ago in New York. And uh, let's see what he had to say, and we'll get an idea why everybody is talking about this, uh, this speech from so many years ago. Dear friends, thank you for inviting me. I come to America with a mission. All is not well in the old world. There is a tremendous danger looming, and it is very difficult to be optimistic. We might be in the final stages of the Islamization of Europe. This not only is a clear and present danger to the future of Europe itself, it is a threat to America and the sheer survival of the West. The United States as the last bastion of Western civilization facing an Islamic Europe. You have probably seen the landmarks in the countries of Europe, but in all these cities, sometimes a few blocks away from your tourist destination, there is another world. It is the world of the parallel society created by Muslim mass migration. All throughout Europe, a new reality is rising. Entire Muslim neighborhoods where very few indigenous people reside or are even seen. And if they are, they might regret it. This goes for the police as well. It's the world of headscarves, where women walk around in figureless tents with baby strollers and a group of children. Their husbands, or slaveholders if you prefer, walk three steps ahead with mosques on many street corners. The shops have signs you and I cannot read. You will be hard pressed to find any economic activity. These are Muslim ghettos controlled by religious fanatics. These are Muslim neighborhoods, and they are mushrooming in every city across Europe. These are the building blocks for territorial control of increasingly larger portions of Europe, street by street, neighborhood by neighborhood, city by city. There are now thousands of mosques throughout Europe with larger congregations than there are in churches. And in every European city, there are plans to build super mosques that will dwarf 
every church in the region. Clearly, the signal is we rule. Many European cities are already one-quarter Muslim. Just take Amsterdam, Marseille, Malmo, and Sweden. In many cities, the majority of the under-18 population is Muslim. Paris is now surrounded by a ring of Muslim neighborhoods. Muhammad is the most popular name among boys in many cities. In some elementary schools in Amsterdam, the farm can no longer be mentioned because that would also mean mentioning the pig, and that would be an insult to Muslims. Many state schools in Belgium and Denmark only serve halal food to all pupils. In once-tolerant Amsterdam, gays are beaten up almost exclusively by Muslims. Non-Muslim women routinely hear whore, whore. Satellite dishes are not pointed to local TV stations, but to stations in the country of origin. In France, school teachers are advised to avoid authors deemed offensive to Muslims, including Voltaire. The same is increasingly true of Darwin. The history of the Holocaust can no longer be taught because of Muslim sensitivity. In England, Sharia courts are now officially part of the British legal system. Many neighborhoods in France are no-go areas for women without headscarves. Last week, a man almost died after being beaten up by Muslims in Brussels because he was drinking during the Ramadan. Jews are fleeing France in record numbers, on the run for the worst wave of anti-Semitism since World War II. French is now commonly spoken on the streets of Tel Aviv and Netanya, Israel. I could go on forever with stories like this, stories about Islamization. A total of 54 million Muslims now live. San Diego State University recently calculated that a staggering 25% of the population in Europe will be Muslim just 12 years from now. Bernard Lewis has predicted a Muslim majority by the end of this century. Now, these are just numbers, and the numbers could not be threatening if the Muslim immigrants had a strong desire to assimilate. But there are a few signs of that. The Pew Research Center reported that half of French Muslims see their loyalty to Islam as greater than their loyalty to France. One third of French Muslims do not object to suicide attacks. The British Center for Social Cohesion reported that one third of British Muslim students are in favor of a worldwide caliphate. Muslims demand what they call respect, and this is how we give them respect. We have Muslim official state holidays. The Christian Democratic Attorney General is willing to accept Sharia in the Netherlands if there is a Muslim majority. We have cabinet members with passports from Morocco and Turkey. Muslim demands are supported by unlawful behavior, ranging from petty crimes and random violence, for example, against ambulance workers and bus drivers, to small-scale riots. Paris has seen its uprising in the low-income suburbs. I call the perpetrators settlers because that is what they are. They do not come to integrate to our societies, into our societies. They come to integrate our society into their Dar al-Islam. Therefore, they are settlers. Now, much of this street violence I mentioned is directly, exclusively against non-Muslims, forcing many native people to leave their neighborhoods, their cities, their countries. Moreover, Muslims are now a swing vote not to be ignored. The second thing you need to know is the importance of Muhammad the prophet. His behavior is an example to all Muslims and cannot be criticized. Now, if Muhammad had been a man of peace, let us say like Gandhi, 
and Mother Teresa wrapped in one, there would be no problem. But Muhammad was a warlord, a mass murderer, a pedophile, and had several marriages at the same time. Islamic tradition tells us how he fought in battles, how he had his enemies murdered, and even had prisoners of war executed. Muhammad himself slaughtered the Jewish tribe of Banu Qurayazi. Sorry if I got that wrong. If it is good for Islam, it is good. If it is bad for Islam, it is bad. Let no one fool you about Islam being a religion. Sure, it has a God and a hereafter and 72 virgins. But in its essence, Islam is a political ideology. It is a system that lays down detailed rules for society and the life of every person. Islam wants to dictate every aspect of life. Islam means submission. Islam is not compatible with freedom and democracy because what it strives for is Sharia. If you want to compare Islam to anything, compare it to communism or national socialism. These are all totalitarian ideologies. Now you know why Winston Churchill called Islam the most retrograde force in the world and why he compared Mein Kampf to the Koran. The public has wholeheartedly accepted the Palestinian narrative and sees Israel as the aggressor. I have lived in this country and visited it dozens of times. I support Israel. First, because it is the Jewish homeland after 2,000 years of exile, up to and including Auschwitz. Second, because it is a democracy. And third, because Israel is our first line of defense. This tiny country is situated on the fault line of jihad, frustrating Islam's territorial advance. Israel is facing the front lines of jihad, like Kashmir, Kosovo, the Philippines, southern Thailand, Darfur in Sudan, Lebanon, and in Indonesia. Israel simply in the way, the way, the same way West Berlin was during the Cold War. The war against Israel is not a war against Israel. It is a war against the West. It is jihad. Israel is simply receiving the blows that are meant for us. If there would have been no Israel, Islamic imperialism would have found other venues to release its energy and its desire for conquest. Thanks to Israeli parents who send their children to the army and lay awake at night, parents in Europe and America can sleep well and dream unaware of the dangers looming. Many in Europe argue in favor of abandoning Israel in order to address the grievances of our Muslim minorities. But if Israel were, God forbid, to go down, it would not bring any solace to the West. It would not mean our Muslim minorities would all of a sudden change their behavior and accept our values. On the contrary, the end of Israel would give enormous encouragement to the forces of Islam. They would, and rightly so, see the demise of Israel as proof that the West is weak and doomed. The end of Israel would not mean the end of our problems with Islam, but only the beginning. It would mean the start of the final battle for world domination. If they can get Israel, they can get everything. So-called journalists volunteer to label any and all critics of Islamization as right-wing extremists or racists. In my country, the Netherlands, 60% of the population now sees the mass immigration of Muslims as the number one policy mistake since World War II. And another 60% sees Islam as the biggest threat. Yet there is a greater danger than terrorist attacks. The scenario of America as the last man standing. The lights may go out in Europe faster than you can imagine. 
An Islamic Europe means a Europe without freedom and democracy, an economic wasteland, an intellectual nightmare, and a loss of military might for America, as its allies will turn into enemies, enemies with atomic bombs. With an Islamic Europe, it would be up to America alone to preserve the heritage of Rome, Athens, and Jerusalem. Dear friends, liberty is the most precious of gifts. My generation never had to fight for this freedom. It was offered to us on a silver platter by people who fought for it with their lives all throughout Europe. American cemeteries remind us of the young boys who never made it home and whose memory we cherish. My generation does not own this freedom. We are merely its custodians. We can only hand over this hard-won liberty to Europe's children in the same state in which it was offered to us. We cannot strike a deal with mullahs and imams. Future generations will never forgive us. We cannot squander our liberties. We simply do not have the right to do so. We have to take the necessary action now to stop this Islamic stupidity from destroying the free world that we know. And then the person who forwarded this, uh, this message, this email, urges it to be sent to everyone you know because it is so very, very important. I sense that Gert is correct. I will admit, I don't know much about Islam. I don't. I am a Christian. My wife happens to be Jewish. Um, maybe Gert is wrong about some of this in terms of the details of the faith. I don't know. I suspect I've, I've heard... I've heard similar assessments in the past, and given the, the quality and the caliber of the people who have been sending this message around, I suspect that this is the truth. So, where does that leave us? I don't know. I know America is a great country with great values and a great system, and believing in God here, believing does not conflict with our system. The Islamic system possibly does conflict with America in a big way. Let's keep the conversation going, shall we? I'll be right back. All right, we've got a war raging over there between Israel and Hamas. Go Israel, by the way. Um, we have a China that is on the rise, big time. I mean, posing a threat like we've never seen before, perhaps. And in America, uh, an economy uh, that's all over the place, uh, anti-Semitism on the rise, and this guy at the very, very top. What a mess. Uh, but we're joined by two guys who can make sense of it all. Uh, Blaine Holt, the retired Air Force Brigadier General, and Gordon Chang, China export, expert and author most recently of China is Going to War. You must check out this book and his upcoming one. More on that later. Um, Gordon, first to you, what worries you the most right now? What is keeping you up at night, if anything? Well, certainly China is. And the part that is that is so worrying is that, you know, we have Joe Biden saying he's spoken to Xi Jinping more than any other world leader going back, you know, many, many years. But during that time, Xi Jinping's behavior has only worsened. China has become so much more dangerous. So whatever Joe Biden has said to the Chinese leader, obviously is not working. And right now in Second Thomas Shoal, Whitson Reef and Scarborough Shoal in the Philippines in the South China Sea, 
China's engaging in some very dangerous activities that could very well lead to war. Sorry, what's that about the shawls again? Can you go through that? What are they? Uh, where are they? Like under the sea? Oil? Well, these are in, um, uh, in the Philippines' exclusive economic zone, which means very close to the Philippine coast. They are generally considered to be part of the Philippines. China claims them. China is now moving military assets into those shoals. The United States, in response, has now sent over a ship and planes. Um, this could easily escalate because I think the Chinese do not really respect Joe Biden. Biden, on October 25, warned the Chinese that the United States was willing to use force against Beijing in order to defend the Philippines. The, the Chinese just ignored him, which means there is no more deterrence which means that we could easily end up in a war. And I want to see that video of Joe Biden walking with President Xi. You know, sometimes you think, well, this doesn't matter. It's all about policy. It's all about what you say. It's also about how you say it, and it's also about who's saying it. And right there, you can tell that Joe is not in command. He's weak, and they know it. Uh, what do you think of my analysis? Just on the superficial stuff, uh, General Holt. I think you're absolutely correct. But... You know, let's let's go to the halls of Congress right now where they're deliberating over Comer's uh, stunning evidence of the work that the Biden family has done with CEFC and their Chinese interests. Um, that that in no way puts a president into a position of strength when you have to show up at an apex summit and tell these guys that you're not going to be belligerent around the world, that we are going to de-escalate against Taiwan and, um, and no, we're not going to bail out your economy for these very unwise decisions you've made at home as you ravage the world with your Belt and Road Initiative. We have not checked Chinese power, and the Biden family has probably some reasons why that's so. Many of those reasons are coming out in the Congress as we speak. Yeah, I mean, we have this. We have categorical evidence that money went from China to this company, a holding company called the Wasco. And they have an automatic uh, payment system to pay Joe Biden $1,300 a month for four months. And some people could say, oh, that's, uh, that's peanuts. But um, for a long time, they said he never got any money from China. And now we know he did, Hunter. And now the whole thing is kind of gross. Here's Joe being so warm and friendly about China. China's a great nation. And we should hope for the continued expansion. China is not our enemy. There is nothing inevitable about China and the United States not being as cooperative as any other two nations in the world. I believe then what I believe now, that a rising China is a positive, positive development, not right. only for China, but for America and the world writ large. And it goes on like this. We've got hours of tape of him saying nice things. Gordon. Forget for a moment that he's probably compromised. Let's pretend he's never been to China. He had no children, uh, you know, never got any money, never saw any money, never wanted any money. Is there any explanation for that kind of uh, dovish treatment of China by a U.S. then senator, vice president and president? Well, certainly not now. Uh, and when Joe Biden was running for president, um, you know, it was very clear that he was saying China is not our adversary not an enemy. Um, you know, they're not even competition. And those words, I think, show a attitude, which un basically Biden doesn't understand the maliciousness of the Chinese regime. Um, you know, when we're talking about fentanyl or COVID-19, intellectual property theft, 
or these belligerent activities supporting Iran and Russia in their war efforts, Biden does not understand um, the Chinese regime and its challenge to the United States, which, by the way, is existential. Gentlemen, uh, as I wrap up, both of you, did you have any idea before two months ago that anti-Semitism was as prevalent in America as it is? You saw those university presidents, that disgraceful performance. I personally did not know. This has been a real wake-up call. General and then Gordon. Yeah, I, I underestimated it. We've been watching anti-Semitism rise, but in no way did I understand the scale and the scope that this propaganda has been wrought in our schools uh, from very early ages on, and now and now we see what 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 comes. Gordon, yeah, like like General Halt, I certainly underestimated it, um, and this shows you the rot in the American system that the left has actually taken over education here at all phase, at all levels, and it's really the result of um, just us forgetting, you know what's been going on in our schools as the left has taken them over. Yeah, what a wake-up call indeed. We all have to be uh, vigilant and busy. No more football on Sundays, I'm telling you. we got to be civically active. we got to do something. Let's make some sacrifices, seriously. I've gotta, Amen. i got to think about this, and uh, we got to do more. we got to do more. But you guys are doing plenty already. Gordon, thank you. And General, thank you. We'll be right back. Countdown to Christmas is on, and the holiday season we know isn't always the most wonderful time of the year for everyone, right? Many people suffer sadness and even depression during the holidays for a variety of reasons. If that's you, and you have no one to turn to, no support system, maybe that's part of why you're not so happy, consider BetterHelp.com. It's convenient and private. They will match you with a licensed therapist specifically for you. Maybe you've considered therapy, maybe you haven't, but I encourage you to check it out. BetterHelp dot com slash Newsmax. The great people at BetterHelp have helped more than 4 million people just like you. And right now, listeners of this podcast can save 10% on your first month. So check it out. BetterHelp.com slash Newsmax. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Newsmax. Mayor Pete. Now he's Secretary Pete. I got to hand it to him. He's one smooth operator. He went from being mayor of that, uh, forgive me, dinky town, and to conning people into thinking he was some sort of war hero, into uh, being a number one presidential candidate for about six months, and then getting out of the race and getting rewarded with, well, Secretary of Transportation. Good for him, bad for the American people. Now, he got this job because he's gay. I've proved that many times. We don't care what his orientation is, but the political press, they were obsessed with it. That elevated him, and now he's Secretary of Transportation. He's got real power, but he's real clueless. I'm still surprised that some people were surprised when I pointed to the fact that uh, if a highway was built for the purpose of dividing a white and a black neighborhood, or if an underpass was constructed such that a bus carrying mostly black and Puerto Rican kids uh, to a beach, or there would have been, uh, in New York was, was designed uh, too low for it to pass by, that that obviously reflects racism that went into those design choices. 
obviously it's racism. What else could it be? May I see the racist bridge? This is a racist bridge, according to Mayor Pete. Now, I know where he got this from, all right? He got it from a book called The Power Broker. It's about a thousand pages long. It's actually a very good book, but like most books, there are some mistakes. And the mistakes in this book uh, are now affecting policy. Uh, and every fake news reporter loves to pretend that they read this book. Uh, when they show up on the, uh, on the fake news, there it is. Any Democrat congressman or any, uh, let's see, where's his copy, right? There's the power broker. If you're a Democrat, uh, they love to say they read the power broker. Most of the time, they haven't read it. I actually did make my way through the entire book. It's good. At times, it's great, but it's not perfect. And yeah, there's this whole theme that somehow architecture created by Robert Moses, who was a very prominent civil engineer and urban planner, is racist. It is nonsense. I'll get to the nonsense part in a moment. But first, here are politicians running with this bogus theory. It's an opportunity for Democrats to spend big money. Every New Yorker knows the highway is congested, noisy and dirty, exhaust spiking asthma rates. The call to cap the cross Bronx is getting louder. This video for a similar proposal in Los Angeles gives you an idea of the possibilities. Decking would cover the sunken roadway to create green space on top, reconnecting communities cut by the highway. Special vents would scrub exhaust from vehicles on the covered road. Senator Schumer now prioritizing the project as New York seeks funds from the just passed bipartisan infrastructure framework. One of the criteria is to, uh, that goes to the top of the list is undoing environmental injustice. Environmental injustice. Check it out. Does that look like an environmentally unjust or unjust roadway? Huh? You know, I took this roadway every day, actually, for two years on my way to college. And it's just a highway. It's just a road. And we got a picture of uh, the most expensive zip code in the country. One of them, Stanford, Connecticut. Same thing. Same highway. Just a road. But still, you saw they're going to put a roof over that thing. They're going to put a roof over it. The mastermind of the Cross Bronx was once the most powerful unelected official in the Empire State. Robert Moses. The legacy of Robert Moses. We continue to be haunted by the ghost of Robert Moses. Speaker after speaker piled on Robert Moses for environmental racism, though the Cross Bronx mostly displaced Jewish, Italian, and Irish residents. I think what matters is not where the Cross Bronx began, but where it ends, what became of it. Congressman Torres says it became a burden for black and brown New Yorkers. How can he tell? It's an interstate highway. What is he talking about? It hurt Italians and Irish at first, but somehow in the end, look, it goes back to this book, which people pretend they understand, but they really don't. And people are not strong enough or knowledgeable enough to point out the flaws in this book. Remember, everybody in the Democrat world loves to say they read this book and they understand it. They actually don't. Now, I want to show you one of those racist bridges today. This is what it looks like. And you could say, well, yeah, I guess a bus would have trouble going through it. Uh, it was built originally, most of these bridges back in the late 20s, early 30s. Let me see what it looked like back then. Very bucolic, very nice. Okay, remember, these bridges are on the outside of New York City. Buttigieg thinks they're low to keep black kids from going to the beach. Well, in 1930 in New York City, the population was just 4.7% black. 
the, there was a higher percentage of black residents and Puerto Rican residents in the state of Maine than in New York City. Kind of a kind of debunks that whole book that Pete Buttigieg in the fake news loves to say they read. Now, uh, we're still dealing with this nonsense. Billions of dollars are going to be spent eradicating racism, and it's actually going to make a lot of kids sad. Can I show you something? Monkey art stayed in a Harlem park for decades. It's finally gone, and they say that's a good thing. Can I see the monkey that is gone? Here is the monkey that they say is racist. You can kind of make them out. Yeah, that's a monkey. That's a monkey. And what's the problem here? Let's go through what the New York Times reported uh, earlier this month. At first glance, the metal trellis adorning a public bathroom in a playground in Riverside Park may have appeared innocuous. Yeah, you're right. Uh, next, please. But there were troubling details. The monkeys were black. They were connected to the trellis by their wrists, which were shackled. How is that monkey black? Copper is black. <laughs> and the park was located in Harlem. Aha! A predominantly black neighborhood. A fact that seemed to many to be beyond coincidence. Yes, this must be, they're making what? It has been almost 50 years since the power broker was published, after all. And Miss Frederick, an activist, assumed the monkeys had come down long ago. Um, well, this stirred up a big thing, and they got rid of the monkeys. No more monkeys in the park, because it was so close to Harlem. Uh, the problem is there are still monkeys all over the place because monkeys aren't racist. This is at 63rd and 5th Avenue, the richest part of New York City. And what's up there? That's monkeys at the Central Park Zoo. They hit the bell on the hour. That's monkeys at 68th and 5th Avenue. Jackie O lived across the street. Those are monkeys. Monkeys are not racist, but that's what, this is so ludicrous. But someone's going to make money taking down those monkeys. Somebody's going to make money putting a park over a highway. And kids won't get to play with monkeys anymore. I love monkeys, don't you? Curious George. Anybody grow up with Curious George? They're actually trying to say Curious George is racist because the man with the yellow hat was a colonialist, whatever that is. This is insane. Please, please. We need Trump back fast. I'll be right back. I switched. I switched. I switched. I switched to Newsmax. 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 Have you made the switch? You bet I did. My whole family switched. Millions are switching to Newsmax. You should too. I'll say it again. I'm going to miss this guy, George Santos. I think you got a really bum deal. If anything, the treatment of him really highlights, uh, well, the unfairness of the media. Uh, I'm still deeply suspicious of career politicians. They're the ones who told us he's a bad guy. I haven't seen the proof. But I'd like to get some expert opinion. Uh, we have with us uh, Scott Rouse, the body language expert. We always love hearing from him. And also Caroline Levitt, spokeswoman for Make America Great Again, Inc. And uh, Caroline, first to you, what is MAGA's take I know what my take is on him. I think he got screwed. I think he still belongs in Congress, at least until a conviction, if he gets one. Where do you come down and where, does, where do you think MAGA comes down on George Santos? 
I agree with you, Greg. I think that the House Republican Conference and everyone in the House of Representatives should have let the courts let this play out. They should have allowed for a conviction if that were to be the case, and then maybe move forward with expulsion. I think it's unfortunate that we saw what happened today. It's uh, really unprecedented times. And and once again, unfortunately, the House Republican Conference couldn't stick together while you have Democrats allowing Senator Mendez to have gold bars from Egypt in his closet at home. He's still getting classified intel briefings. And you also have Jamal Bowman, right? They never voted to expel him after he pulled the fire alarm on the <laughs> Capitol. So it's unfortunate to see that we're spending time focusing on George Santos and all the money that he spent. We should be focusing on all the the money that the Biden spent and laundered to Joe Biden himself when he no, was we're vice all, president. We're all over that, but I, I, it's still an intriguing episode. This guy is, women are totally fascinated by him, at least around in my world. Do me a favor, Scott, watch this. It's from earlier this week on Tuesday, George Santos speaking. Okay. Do you know what's a good use of all of our time? Is fixing the massive inflation in this country, is fixing the issues we have in our border. I went to San Diego last week. It is terrible, terrible. That's what we should be putting our energy on, not on censuring one another, expelling one another, witch hunts against pol the political class. Nobody cares. If this building, if this city, put the effort to fixing our country the same way that they put on expelling me, we'd be in a better place. Scott Rouse, I totally agree with him. Uh, some people say he's crazy. I do not pick up crazy. I just don't. But what are you seeing when he speaks? Uh, somebody looks pretty worried. We're seeing a lot of stress on him. When you see the eyebrows up like that, we call we refer to that as request for approval. That's a uh, um, something you'll see when someone's trying to get their point across. It, we see a lot of, of uh, gesturing with his head. We see a few of these, what we call illustrators, when your hand comes up and you're making points with your hand because you're emphasizing specific words and phrases. So that's normal for somebody who's a little bit heated as, as he is right there. So, and people will say, oh, you may look crazy, but he's a little, I think he's a little PO'd right there. So that lets you know what's happening. Uh, all right, good, good. All right, that's a, a normal, a normal uh, kind of showing of stress. Pete Buttigieg. All right, this guy is not stressed out. This guy has been taking it easy. I think we have some video of him. Or actually, let's just listen to him uh, doing what he loves doing the most, being on MSNBC. We're about the bread and butter of governing. We're not about the chaos. We're not about the drama. We're not about the partisan politics. Uh, we're about getting stuff done. All right. I think, Caroline, that he should be the star of Donald Trump's campaign because he exemplifies so much of what is wrong with the Biden administration. But please, where does MAGA come down on him? Weakness, incompetence, and a guy who got a job just because he checks a box, because he's a gay man, not because he has the skill set or the resume to lead the Department of Transportation. Has anyone taken a flight this year? I've taken a lot of them, and almost every single one has been delayed. The airline industry is an absolute mess. The transportation industry is horrid. He, he took him days to go to East Palestine after the train derailment. This guy has no business being in this position of power. But if you look at Joe Biden's entire cabinet, unfortunately, is it is that way and that's why we have weakness here at home and chaos abroad uh you know um he did get that job because he's gay and it has we don't care that he's gay but every political journalist in the world made that a thing and that's why he basically won iowa and uh became a superstar what do you see 
Well, was he somebody who's saying something that, that I don't believe was his idea to say? Because when he says bread and butter, right there at the very top of that, you can see when he says butter, there's what's what we refer to as a micro-expression. It's a micro-expression of anger, and that's a, a, a leaking of an emotion, a micro-expression, that you, that you don't want anyone to see, but it comes out anyway. And if you'll slow down where he says butter, at the end of butter, you'll see his face go into a classic uh, expression of anger. The nostrils flare a little bit, his mouth comes up, and, and we see uh, almost, they're not pursed lips, but they're lips that are pressed together, it's compressed lips, and it makes the anger um, expression. So that's, I th and then as he speaks, it's really odd because when he yeah. says something, his eyes will blink with every word. Every, after every little sentence he says, his eyes will blink right after that. So he's memorized this, but I think he's also reading part of it as well. This uh, is very micro. It's very micro. I didn't see it until you pointed it out and we froze it. He oh. is angry. Wow. Yeah. All right. This is a classic, and I always wanted to break this down with both of you. It's a while back, but a reporter, Ducey, who's very good, asked Joe Biden about that granddaughter. At the time, he wasn't acknowledging that he had a seventh granddaughter. And I sense fury here, but he tries to mask it. Take a look. I'm wondering if you have a comment on this report and court filing out of Arkansas that your son, Hunter, just made you a grandfather again. No, that's a private matter. I have no comment. But only you would ask that. You're a good man. You're a good man. Thank you, guys. This is all Classy. the time we have. Wow. The teeth. Like fangs. Uh, he has since been uh, basically forced into acknowledging the uh, seventh grandchild. The New York Times shamed him into doing it. I hope, well, I don't want the kid to be in any way, I don't know, brought into a political situation but their negligence of this child is a, is a legitimate issue, Caroline. Yes, absolutely. I'm no body language expert, but what I see from that clip is a cold-faced liar. And I see someone who is not at all a family man. The mainstream liberal media can repeat that as many times as they want. But this is the guy who didn't acknowledge his own granddaughter until it became very politically inconvenient for him to continue to ignore her. And it's also a guy who sent his crackhead son around the world to be his bag man and uh, sell out the national interest and security of the United States of America. Can we just imagine if Donald Trump did that with any of his children? Never. And you never hear yeah. gloating press stories about Trump or his family. And they're all wonderful people, mm -hmm. great business people as well. Excellent. Scott, I only have uh, 10 seconds. I've never seen fury like that. That's a special kind of fury. Yeah. And before we start speaking, we see fear as the uh, question is being asked. So I thought that was really odd. In the old days, he wasn't like that. But these days, things have changed a little bit. We're actually seeing fear before he starts talking. That right there. Is, is fear because wow. it's almost like a calm surprise when you when you talk about fear the facial expression of fear one of these days scott you got to do uh, me and caroline <laughs> i'm afraid what he's going to find out <laughs> scott rouse thank you very much go to scottrouse.com r-o-u-s-e.com and please go to MAGA inc MAGAinc.com. is that right MAGAinc.com, caroline yes magapack.com thanks greg you bet and we'll be right back thanks so much Uh, there's polling by the Associated Press that shows that almost 70% of Americans, including 40% of Democrats, believe that you acted either illegally or unethically in regards to your family's business interests. Can you explain to the Americans, uh, to Americans admit this impeachment inquiry, why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not, and 
was just a bunch of lies. You didn't interact with many of his associates? I did not. There's what? lies. Wow. I'm not going to comment. Then he comments. I did not. Lies, lies, lies. These are not lies. Even from Democrats, we know that these are not lies. Um, we know about the email uh, from the Burisma official who thanked Hunter for introducing him to his father, Vice President Joe Biden at the time. We have that. It's on the record. What else do we have? Ah, yes, Devin Archer. Devin Archer said that Joe Biden routinely called in and, yes, engaged with Hunter's and Devin's business associates on speakerphone. And Dan Goldman, who's turning out to be one clown of a congressman, <laughs> talks a bit too much. Even he confirms that Joe Biden was conferring, uh, talking at least with Hunter's business associates overseas. Confirmed, you're saying that the speakerphone conversations, they don't seem concerning to you because there is no specifics about business. And it just seemed like it they was were clear about that it was clear that it was as part of the daily conversations that Hunter Biden had with his father. Um, and it was and, and sounded like most of the time uh, now President Biden didn't even know who the people he was at dinner. He was just asked to say hello. Uh, and he would, you know, talk about the, the way he described it several times. They asked over and over and over. He described what the weather was. The whole point for Hunter was I can get my dad on the phone. Watch. Hey, Joe Biden, is this Democrat congressman a liar, too? Huh? Busted again. We'll be right back. Have you heard about Newsmax Plus? You got to check it out. Newsmaxplus.com. Go there and check it out. Uh, you know, we had a stop bar free stream, but there's a way you can get access to all of our Newsmax goodies. Newsmax Plus. You can watch Newsmax on your TV, on your tablet, your iPad, your phone, wherever you are, whenever you're there. But you got to go to Newsmax Plus, okay? Newsmaxplus.com and all the great shows. Rob. Me, Carl Higby, he's doing great. Eric Bowling as well. And Greta, too. She's all right. She is all right. Um, all right. We've been getting a lot of positive reviews. Hundreds of thousands of people have signed up for this. Uh, oh, you can watch John Voight's special series on Israel. The great actor, John Voight. What was that movie? Uh, the Champ. He was so good in that. And uh, the Cowboy movie, too. Anyway, and a lot of other things. Heat. Ooh. Uh, get Newsmax Plus today. It won't cost you anything to start, okay? No risk. Newsmaxplus.com. Newsmaxplus.com. Midnight Cowboy. That was the movie. I'll see you later. Oh, no. I have one more thing to show you. My daughter's birthday. Um, hit it. Happy birthday to you. She's two. Happy birthday. That's Madeline. Happy birthday. Annalise is very well behaved. Happy birthday. She actually knows to blow out the candles. Watch. My mom and dad, Ray and Veronica Kelly there, they are married almost 60 years, 60 years this month. I wish I was there. I work nights at Newsmax. I love it, but I do have to miss the occasional birthday party. I'll be home soon, though, girls. 
Thanks for watching. I'll be back tomorrow. All the best.